They want to destroy your country as you know it. Say no. Show resolve. Stand up and fight, all of you. You want to win this fight? It's actually pretty simple. Defend the truth. Support what is good. Fight what is bad. Mock them constantly. Love your country and your family and your God. We fight for this nation, win or lose, because it is worth fighting for. America, while we can keep it, it is righteous to fight for it as it is. Welcome to season four of the Right Idea podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, volunteer president and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. The theme for this season is Fight for America. In this fifth episode of season four, we feature an interview with nationally syndicated talk show host, Buck Sexton. Buck is the co-host of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show, which is available every weekday on hundreds of radio stations nationwide during the legendary time slot previously held by Rush Limbaugh. Buck also currently hosts an evening show called Hold the Line, serves as a political commentator and national security analyst on a variety of networks, previously served as a CIA officer, and previously worked in the NYPD Intelligence Division. Our No Better Friend Corp team was honored to host Buck for his first time ever in Wisconsin for our Fight for America rally in West Dallas, where we had about a thousand attendees. In today's episode, Buck explains his frustrations with the Biden administration's withdrawal from Afghanistan and the crisis at the border, along with his thoughts on our nation's response to COVID-19 and his experience with social media and big tech companies, where he reminds us that, quote, social media is the most rigged game in the information system. We hope you enjoy today's episode. This is the Right Idea Podcast. Well, welcome to the Right Idea Podcast. We are here in West Dallas, Wisconsin, and I'm here with Buck Sexton. Buck, first time in Wisconsin? First time ever in Wisconsin. <laughs> welcome. Fact, yeah. Welcome. And not only are you here, but you did a radio show here earlier today. Yes, sir. WISN. And now we've got a revival tent going on in the uh, parking lot of the Hampton Inn on Greenfield Avenue in West Dallas. And we've got a ton of people coming here tonight in part to see. How many you think we might actually get here tonight? What are we thinking? I can tell you what we had signed up. And it was like 1,300 people were signed up. Now, it's a free event. So there's always some slippage. But at the same time, we have other people that are just like walking up and they're like, hey, we we didn't sign up. So we have an overflow room here as well we got that gargantuan tent which will see about a thousand people so i'm excited yeah exactly good to go let's people do it like you <laughs> i i hope so we, we try to do a good radio show every day so we're doing our best yeah well you're caring for a good message your, your life story is awesome it involves the cia the nypd you've been working in different facets of keeping people safe and keeping people secure for a long time um you know a bit, and actually I should mention for our audience, so the first time we ever connected was during my Senate campaign in 2018. You had a show called The Rising, uh, put out there by The Hill, and you interviewed me during that primary. Um, so that's the first time that we connected. Was it just me, or did you deal with my co-host Crystal as well? As I recall, it was just you. Oh, lucky man, okay. I think so. Crystal's lovely, but she's quite progressive. So, okay, I got so it. I think you would have remembered if you had, <laughs> if you had, if you had Crystal would have cross-examining you, you would have remembered that one, yes, yes. I only recall you, and I remember being very well done. Yeah, that's, that sounds right. That sounds like what would happen. So, <laughs> so as um, as you put on your your hat here, thinking about all the things that are going on in the world, one of the places I want to start with is in the general sphere of national security. We can talk about a whole bunch of stuff, but 
obviously we just saw a mess go down in Afghanistan. I'm an Afghanistan vet myself, I was there in 0809. As you look at the perspective of, of someone that's taken care of security before in the past, just give me some thoughts on what the Biden administration has done so far in terms of degrading Americans, their security of their position in the world. Well, for one thing, I think anytime you have a commander in chief who seems as inept and low energy, and I really mean that, not just yeah. as like a as a snippy <laughs> yeah. comment, but I mean it feels like the guy needs a nap. I mean, because he's gonna be 79 years old soon. He's too old for the job. We've known he was too old for the job for quite some time. And anytime you're in that situation, in that circumstance, uh, I think that our enemies all around the world think, well, now's a good time to make some moves. And you may not see that right away. That can take a period of time. But one thing I think was fair to say about Trump, I compared him once to the line from Tombstone, one of my favorite movies, which is that you want Doc Holliday to have the street howitzer. You know, you want someone that you think might actually pull the trigger on the gun, like might actually, you know, take a swing if someone right. says the wrong thing. Right. Um, whereas with the Biden administration, I feel like everything would be just let's have a committee hearing and let's let's sit and talk about this for a long time. So that's a, in a very macro sense, that's a concern. I mean, Afghanistan, I think, was the right move. I just uh, to get out. I mean, I just he, he sat down or rather spoke to interviewed. Uh, Zal Khalilzad, who I've actually known a very long time, who is the chief U.S. ambassador for, I mean, he's he's basically been Mr. Afghanistan for the last 20 years. He was U.S. ambassador to Iraq, U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan, chief of negotiations with the Taliban under both the Trump and now Biden administrations. Now, because he's a diplomat, he didn't drop any bombs in that interview, but basically he's like, look, they didn't stick to the schedule. They did change, the Biden administration did change things, did not finish the agreement that was almost done by the Trump administration, did not finish uh, and take it to the the final stages and just decided we're going to go. So it's totally fair to say the withdrawal was botched. Um, but I think it's also fair to say that leaving feels like it was the right move because it's what the American people wanted. Um, and I think we'll be debating for a long time whether because the, the big question that looms over all that is, were we going to have to put U.S. troops essentially in the front lines again? I mean, mm-hmm. think Marines in Helmand right. province, you know, some years back. Right. Because the Taliban was going to say, you promised to leave, you're not leaving, now we're coming at you too. And that would put us right in the middle. Now, is that true or not? Is that the Biden administration spin on this? That's a part of it that can be debated. The way the withdrawal went down, clearly they misunderstood how, I mean, that's a gentle way of putting it, how the <laughs> Afghan national true. security forces would would react. Although, I mean, I was in Afghanistan a decade ago, and everything that we saw happen with the ANSF uh, would have been what you would expect if you had just read the basic trainer reports, police trainer, mm-hmm. military trainer. I mean, these guys just, how do you create a cohesive fighting force when you have a literacy rate of something like 20 to 30% among much of right. the, yeah. Right. So, so what, I mean, then people say, well, you know, they need to shoot guns. Not Well, actually, no, they need to do payroll. They need to do logistics. They need to do intelligence. They need to yeah. you know, know how to fix the Blackhawks we're giving them. And obviously we pulled the, the trainers to do that too. Right. So, that's what I see on the Afghanistan front. They haven't had a major national security challenge overseas yet. It's obviously early. It's year one. The The biggest uh, issue that I see, because I do view it as a, both a sovereignty and a national security issue, is I mean, we have the worst border situation we've had uh, ever. I've been down there a number of times. I've covered the border issue uh, up front, uh, up close and personal, rather. And uh, the numbers are staggering. You're going to have Really all in, if you add up Godaways and everything else, probably close to 2 million people entering the United States this year. Now, yeah, sure, 99.9% of them are economic migrants, in my opinion. They shouldn't be here, in the opinion of the federal government. As a law issue, they shouldn't be here, but the Biden administration doesn't care. Right. 
But there will be some percentage that is a problem either for transnational cartel uh, connections, uh, any number of things. So, I mean, that's also, I think, just a national security issue. And you don't know how big a problem you have until you realize you've let in so many people and it only takes a handful of them to cause a real problem. And remember, this is not a, oh, it's people from Central America thing, or it's, oh, it's people from uh, even South America. People are showing up from Bangladesh, from Yemen, from mm -hmm. all over the world. I think now they've got something like between 70 and 80 countries, they've had uh, nationals, illegals crossing over. So it's from all over the world. So when right. you have people from all over the world who know they can basically get in, who know how to game the system, I do think it's very fair to think of that as a serious national security vulnerability and challenge. Definitely. And yes, if we, again, think back to September 11th following that, that attack, and we heard the refrain, we'll never forget. Uh, obviously, many people have forgotten. And if, if you could execute that attack the way that they did, Certainly, they can simply walk over an unsecured border and execute who knows what comes next. Um, and you just think common sense would rule the day. And of course, that's ridiculous to even say at this point because common sense really can't be found in this entire scenario. Not an argument, you have not made any argument against the concept here of immigration. You have made an argument, and, and I would too, that you can, you can immigrate legally. There's a system for that. And our argument is, in the meantime, let's secure the country's borders in order to do two things, secure Americans for sure, and our future and our prosperity, but also to um, make sure that when people come to this country, they do it the right way and they start their, their journey the right way. Because coming across that border illegally leaves you in a compromised position and dependent on other people, which is a whole nother argument in addition to security risk. Yeah, of course, there are economic implications. I mean, they've done just some basic back of the napkin math on the uh, thousands of illegal migrant children who have been moved to the New York area where I'm from, people mm -hmm. often forget. They think, they know that California's had a huge illegal influx right. and Texas and the border states, but actually the single greatest concentration of illegal immigrants in the entire United States is New York City just because of the population right. density and draw. And uh, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars being spent of additional taxpayer funding to deal with students who not only are, of course, going to be put in more crowded classroom situations in many right. cases, but also in English as a second language training and any kind of you know, emotional and uh, trauma support that they need. And a lot of cases, trauma support as a result of the journey they went through, including abuse, uh, sometimes very uh, you know, vicious abuse at the, ha at the hands of the cartels who brought them in. So right. it's an enormous uh, social and economic expense in many ways too. And I just work backwards from this because people, it's so easy to say, Oh, but you know, look at the look at the sad eyes of people, and I've seen them showing up here. Mm -hmm. And of course, you, you know, you get women and children showing up. You make sure they're fed, they're safe. They're not, you know, we're not talking about that. But do they get to stay forever? It's the right. question. That's a different thing. Right. Um, and if I mean, you brought up legal versus illegal immigration. If there's no problem with illegal immigration, then why have an immigration system at all? Right. Why call it illegal? Why don't Democrats change federal law to represent that there should be no such thing as a legal status in this country? By the way, I think they want to do they that, clearly do. but they yes, will right. not They will right. not openly advocate for that. So what they want is a status of constant illegal inflow in the United States while creating this plausible deniability of we still want border security. Right. And that's where you there's dishonesty. And whenever you see dishonesty, you know there's a problem. And the Democrat Party is fundamentally dishonest with the American people on the issue of immigration, illegal immigration. Yes, 100%. Well, and then in the attempt to conflate illegal with legal immigration in order to say that those that oppose illegal immigration... Xenophobia, of course. Exactly yeah. Right, yes. The whole thing's absurd. And it puts people in a bad position, and uh, to your point, creates economic expense and a, a number of different other issues going forward.
taking a step back um, and uh, just kind of looking at this more broadly, um, when you and I connected early and I said what I'd love to hear you talk about later tonight to the, the crowd we have coming, just talk about, you see where the nation is headed under the Biden administration. And you really do see kind of in so many ways, I, again, he's the vessel, the empty vessel for kind of unconstrained leftism at this point. He may not know it, it doesn't appear that he does, but this is the left, the left trying to teach children to hate each other on the basis of their skin color, the left trying to encourage illegal immigration, the left executing what, what turns out to be just completely nonsensical plans in Afghanistan, the left opening the door for uh, Hamas and Hezbollah to attack Israel because Iran feels emboldened. Talk to, talk to me about what you see the direction the left is taking our country in right now. I'd be giving a little preview of my speech. I guess people, I guess <laughs> they people won't hear will, this I don't know, they won't hear it till after, so <laughs> exactly. we're good. I'm not stepping on my own, my own. No, you're not. Here. Um, you're not. Look, I mean, the, what you said about the Biden administration and Joe Biden himself, I think is manifestly true. He's not a leader, he's a functionary. He always has been with the Democrat party. He is just the guy, he's a company man, but his company is the DNC, right? right. He does what he's supposed to do. Right. And that's all he ever does. And, He's gotten pretty good at the mechanics of that, although even now that looks a little bit shaky because he's too old for the job. Right. And that's not just a function of age. I mean, you know, obviously there are people, you know, there are 80 year olds who will be saying, Buck, you know, I run 10 miles a day and can do more pushups than you and they're right. <laughs> um, but they're not the president of the United States and they're not trying to be either, right? So right. Joe Biden is, right. and you can visibly see the deterioration. And I go back and forth on this. I actually have a really hard time with this because I do think at some level it's, you know, he is the president, so this is something you can't ignore, and that means you're going to mock and ridicule it. But then there's also that part of me that feels like we've all had that relative that we all feel really sad when they, we can right. see that decline. So I get, I feel a ping pong in that. I get pushed back and forth between, you know, it reminds me of one of my grandparents, for example, my grandpa on the one hand, but on the other hand, I'm like, this guy's got the nuclear codes, and, and the Democrats are reckless for putting him in this. And I'm, I actually well, get angry at them for himself there too. True, absolutely. And so right. he, he chose this, right? Yes. He didn't have to do this. In fact, Barack Obama, as we know, famously told them not to do it and right. also said that Joe Biden could F anything up. And I think <laughs> we're seeing what anything is here when we talk about what's going on in the country right now. Right. Look, I mean, we're, we're, you and I are having this conversation at an interesting time because uh, I think it's been a bad year. I think it's been a good week. Um, I think the year yep. that we've had has been really rough. Um, there's really nothing to celebrate. Every prediction that I've made about the next step of Fauciism has come true. Mm -hmm. Every time I say, guys, they're going to do the following. One thing that has really frustrated me and all of the, I mean, there's a million things that have frustrated me about the COVID response, uh, but the speed with which the American people were able to be lulled into this sense of, oh, it's just this one more thing. And the incrementalism that we were dragged through right. should have been more obvious and there should have been more resistance, I think, from us than there really was. In the first 30 days, 60 days of it, you know, I feel, and that was back to Trump, of course, you know, sure. I, I give people a pass. We don't know how bad is it? Is it gonna mutate really fast? There's a know. risk assessment period, right? Like yeah. in, in the inception of any crisis where you have to take in information and to your point, that might take 30 days yeah. or so to figure things out. And, and, you know, keep in mind, if you go back, and I don't recommend people do this because they'll be truly terrified. We keep comparing this to the Spanish influenza of 1918. You go back and read about what that second wave was like. It was orders of magnitude more terrifying than we're dealing with here. You're talking about people dying in a matter of hours from the onset of the disease, yep. faces basically turning blue from lack of oxygen, and people healthy otherwise, 20 to 40 years old, particularly getting hit with that virus. Right. They still don't even really know why it went after that age group so 
uh, so strongly. And anyway, right. it, it, if we had that kind of a situation here, I mean, you'd see you'd have just like the collapse of America because we've all gotten used to this degree of safetyism and the federal government's going to keep us all safe. So, but to, to back it up to you know what's going on in the country right now, right. freedom is under the greatest threat that it has been in my lifetime. There's no question about it. Uh, I don't, there's no other period you could look at and say that there have been so many infringements on and suspensions of constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. And, and also people get a real sense that the government can be uh, overrun yeah. with madness and also become drunk with its own power much more quickly than, more quickly than people realize. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that we're now, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I mean, San Francisco is rolling out a program to demand vaccine passports for five-year-olds. Uh, that's a real thing. I mean, they're actually doing this. And they think they're the good guys in this process, yeah, right. which is terrifying. Um, the fact that Joe Biden doesn't have to stand in front of the American people and say, yeah, I, you know, it's, he's saying it's a moment of celebration. The vaccines are coming for kids. And by the way, it's coming for kids, meaning they're going to mandate this. They're going to push this in as many places. Everyone keeps saying, oh, they won't in Texas. Oh, they won't. It's incrementalism at every stage. Look at airlines. Look at the way they've done this with masks. Sometimes they'll reduce it, but they always in the background will keep in their pocket the right to reinstitute anything that they roll back. And beyond that, if they don't get the result that they want, they don't get the compliance that they want, they'll find some federal excuse, which is exactly what they've done with the private sector mandate of companies with over 100 people. So people that I know, and I mean, I, you know, I was doing a radio show even before I teamed up with Clay, I was doing one on my own. Mm-hmm. And I'd get all these emails from people saying, but you talk to, you know, it's not that big a deal. You talk too much about how Fauci is doing this bad thing and that bad thing and they're lying to us. But, you know, I live in Nebraska and it's fine here. Well, it's not fine now if, you know, you've got more than 100 employees. It's not fine now if you work for the federal government and you happen to be based in Nebraska. It's not fine now if you're military station. You know, you go down the list, you say, oh, hold on a second. It's not fine, right? So, so people got lulled into this false sense of, oh, it's a blue state problem. It's a blue state issue. It absolutely goes be. I wish it were. I mean, I live in a blue state, but I wish it were only for us. And what I think you'll see is uh, the same way that they've been able to use, and this just goes back to freedom under assault, which I think is the single biggest thing. I mean, this is a bigger, I mean, I was talking about Afghanistan before. This matters to me, you know, a hundred times more than what's going on in Afghanistan right now, let's be honest with you. Um, and I know, you know, this is a place you know well as well. Uh, I, I view this right now as a moment where people are seeing the tricks the federal government can use to try to have more control over people and to um, institute its will in unconstitutional fashion by stretching the boundaries of the law. The Constitution really is just a piece of paper. People yeah. are starting to see that. Everyone thinks, oh, but the Constitution. <laughs> well, if you don't have judges who will actually we'll adhere to it, will adhere to it. Right. if you don't have a political will to stay within the dictates of it. And if you don't have accountability for the for the politicians or the, in this case, the federal bureaucracies, right. what is your piece of paper that is supposed to defend you? We've seen that. Right. We've, seen, we've seen them shut down churches when people could go buy flat screen TVs at Best Buys because church was too dangerous. Well, that's not a, that's not a decision that the, the state should be making. That's, that's, that's not the way this is supposed true. to go. Right. And we've seen far too much uh, compliance with all this. And you know, I'm, I'm quite angry, honestly, not only at the people who have done all this, but you know, there were a lot of people on the right who were very slow on the uptake here. And while I know now people are saying, we'll stand against the vaccine mandates, we're defending on our 10-yard line here. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're not, this is not like we've done a great job holding back the ex- excesses of Fauciism. Right. They've been running the table on us. So, you know, yeah, we should, we should fight back, but let's be realistic about how this has gone. The American people 
solid majority of them, it's all the safe to them as long as they're safe and warm and fed. That's what we found out because of Fauci and the rest. And that's really discouraging. And we have to work to undo that. It's a real concern. And it, you're talking about organs of government and state. And there's an extra dimension to it, too, I'd like to get your perspective on, which is um, the mechanism by which we communicate now. So social media, digital communication. At this point, you see these organs all moving together to both suppress certain uh, messages and also to then uh, forward other messages as well, too, making it such that unless you got a radio show, it can be really hard to get out there and simply state the truth. If the truth runs against the view of a group of elitists that run a combination of governmental and corporate interests. Yeah, we've never been in a place before, in the at least in the... Uh you know, era of my of my lifetime, I mean, I'll speak to that because I think you probably go back in history and find, you know, Woodrow Wilson was locking people up in the First World War for opposing a war that a lot of people still say, what the heck were we doing in that thing? Yeah. So there have been times, and of course, that's where we also get the horrible decision, I believe from Oliver Wendell Holmes about fire in a crowded theater. People think they're smart when they say, that's like killing fire in a crowded theater. Well, that was the Supreme Court line that was essentially used to justify locking somebody up because he was actually a socialist, but who opposed intervention in the First World War. So that was wrong think in the Supreme Court that they then had to overturn later on. But people still say this like it's some argument ender. Um, I, I think that the social media giants, the, the problem we have here is, uh, and you, know, you, you and I are of similar age, you know, we grew up and there was so much uh, leftist domination of news and information that we didn't even know how bad it was. I mean, I yeah. worked I worked as an intern at CBS News with Dan Rather when I was 18 years old. I remember walking <laughs> around that and every person in that place was just a a absolute lib. I yeah, mean, I borderline commie. Everybody <laughs> there. They hated George Bush. Yep. They hated Republicans. Every single I'm 18 years old, so I'm really new to the game. I was a conservative then. I'm walking around going, "Oh my god, these what people are these people are lunatics." <laughs> and this was on a this was on at the time and you know, there were like 6 or 5 or 6 million people and maybe more, I don't even remember. But millions and millions, way more, by the way, than I even watch like a good night of Fox News yeah. now, right? right. You, know, you right. know, people forget the advantage, the broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, even now, I mean, the amount of people that watch ABC News for 30 minutes mm -hmm. to get them a sort of watered down, you know, left wing pablum imaginable, you know, filtered to them, filtered, you know, through uh, somebody who's like a glorified male or female model reading off of a screen. I mean, this is yeah. this it's, it's disappointing. This is where so many people still get their news. But anyway, right. Internet comes along. Drudge. Um, obviously Rush. Now, Rush was sort of behind, I think, building the movement, even behind the scenes, obviously pre-internet era. Sure. Really. But, you know, Rush, the internet, then, you know, for, for his time, I know things have changed, but Drudge, mm -hmm. Coulter, Fox, all these things come together. And all of a sudden, you start to have a little bit more of like information warfare parody out there. Right. Now you have a, the problem, and this I'm bringing this up, is because, unfortunately, that was going in our favor. And you know, you had eight, obviously eight years of Bush. And, uh, and then the social media companies came along and now you have reverted to a place where the left has so much control and dominance again of the information space and in ways that are even more pernicious and hard to understand and hard to, um, hard to sift out, I think, than what we had when it was the broadcast networks and New York Times and Washington Post essentially setting the national agenda. Right. You know, now they're determining they're telling you what people want to see as though that's true. It's based on algorithms, right. but really they're telling you in many cases what they think you should see based upon an agenda. And that includes what you shouldn't see. And let's remember they 
the, the origins, people got so upset about the Hunter Biden story being suppressed for the New York Post, which, I mean, it's completely outrageous, and I agree with that. Right. But the original, you're not allowed to have that opinion issue was COVID. Yeah. And I remember because right. early on, here's a very simple, a very straightforward proposition, and this is why I've been, I'm kind of the original anti-Fauci. I mean, there are a few <laughs> others out there. Obviously, Alex Berenson's gotten very well known. He's done Rogan's podcast. He's gotten very well known for being a big voice on a lot of these issues. And he's done a lot of great work. And he's been right a lot. He'll admit he's not right all the time, but he's been right a lot. But I'm one of the original anti-Fauci's, and it's just because I'd never believed that a public health expert would come out and this was the tell, right? It's like if I'm sitting in a, uh, in, a in a law in a law enforcement interrogation or, or an intel interrogation setting, when someone lies to you, now you know you got a problem, right? The moment someone lies to you, now it's like, no, what else am I fine? What else out, is right? what else you, is wrong? You just yes. look for the lie, and then you're like, okay, now it's you know, now it's game time. You know, now you, now now you want to see what you got. So you're just looking for that first lie. When Fauci said that he lied to us for our own good. That it's that it's not that masks don't work. It's that he said they didn't work, so then he could so that he could save them for the professionals who needed them. This is not credible. This is not you know your doctor will not say to you antibiotics don't work. I'm worried there may be a shortage. That was actually for your own good. That doesn't happen. That's not something you can morally or ethically justify. I also don't believe he would have done it. So that was the original Fauci lie, the kind of original sin from that guy. Um, and it was all I really needed to know. And then from then we've seen so much more, but I wasn't allowed to say these things. I've actually been, to your question about social media, to bring it back, I've been dinged for things. I mean, officially, you know, shut down on Facebook and shut down on Twitter. And by the way, there are a lot of conservatives with big Facebook pages who are part of this whitelisted program and they can kind of get away with things. And then they're talking about, oh, I hate big tech, but turns out they actually don't, don't run into the same problems. So. You know, there's there's been a little bit of that, which is a discouraging situation. But that's yeah. that's the, and that's just a fact, by the way. That's right. not my theory. That's come out. That's true. Right. You know, some of the people that are most I hate big tech. You find out, oh, but you have the special you have the special Facebook program. Well, you can say whatever you want and not actually get in trouble. But like, like a everybody commercial else, commercial relationship or just like secret handshake. Oh, it's no, it's behind. It's like behind closed doors. Okay. Like you're you're on the white. Oh yeah, this has come out. I mean, this is a real thing. Yeah, people who are whitelisted. Okay. under Facebook and there's trusted partner programs and there's all, oh, there's so many layers to Facebook. People have their Facebook rep. Some people can get things fixed very quickly. Other people, you write them emails for six months, they won't respond. Right. Why is my page shut down? You know, so there's all kinds of games going on. Right. People thought it was a fair playing field. It is absolutely not. In fact, it's the most social media. And maybe if there's nothing else people take from us talking today, social media is the most rigged game mm -hmm. in the information system that's out there. Just understand that it's more rigged than anything else you can see. And it is a rigged casino. Right. And certain people are, are always getting the odds tilted in their favor. The left in general does, by the uh, way. Yes, this is broad scale. Yeah, broad scale. I mean, there are all these blue checks on the left. I'd be like, I've never even heard of this person. They've got you know, <laughs> some, some journalist who sucks, who's never done anything worthwhile. They've got like 800,000 yeah, Twitter exactly, followers right? sit there. You're like, yes. what? Who is this person? No. Yes. Yeah. I won't curse because I don't know if we can or not on the podcast. <laughs> you but can been, on the right idea. Oh, okay. There we go. I might. God, I'm in Wisconsin. I'm saying, gosh darn it. A Get hunk a beer of, and a hunk see what of stinky say. cheese onto that one, I'll tell you. So, um, yeah, but I, I got to say, man, it's, uh, I mean, the social media, um, the social media oligarchs control of information, the information space is greater than any other stranglehold the left has had on information okay. history. And people will say, oh, but you're on social media. Yeah. When it really matters, like, I don't know, right before an election or when there's unpopular opinions about a pandemic that need to get out early so we avoid 
the incrementalist nightmare we've been through or right. the election. And, right. you know, one of my big problems with the election uh, stuff is that and I don't I don't mean to say this sort of disparagingly because there are a lot of really good people who are upset about what happened, but they got upset for the wrong reasons. There was all this stuff about, oh, but there was the this and the that and the secret, you know, CIA coming through the spaceship that went through Venezuela and China and the machines. You're sitting here saying this is nonsense. This makes no sense. And then everyone got looped in. No, they did cheat. They did cheat. They counted votes that shouldn't have been counted in Georgia. They counted votes that shouldn't have been counted in Wisconsin. They counted votes that shouldn't have been counted in, in Pennsylvania. They broke state law in Pennsylvania and got away with it because no, no court would take it. But we can't even have that conversation now because it all gets it all gets uh, you know muted. locked in. It all gets muted yeah. around the like. Oh, you're saying that there were crazy you know computer servers and all this other stuff. Like no, but that was another area where they were able to shut down the conversation. So uh, we've seen. And remember, even if you're right, it doesn't matter. That's the part of it that I find so fascinating. I mean, I, I got dinged officially on Facebook for saying that masking outdoors was not not scientifically based <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. There's no study that shows a material benefit from this. Quite, quite the wrote, contrary. Quite the, yes. quite the contrary. <laughs> right. And uh, I think it was about six weeks later, the CDC actually officially agreed, like came out yeah. and agreed when the vaccines were coming out. Yeah. Do you think, did they go back and take like the black mark <laughs> off my record for saying that? No, of course not, right? No. Because the point is to keep us all online and shut us down and make us think we're supposed supposed to think. And, um, you know, to that, I just always want to point out, when was the last time you saw, saw somebody with a double mask, by the way? <laughs> it's been a while. You remember? You remember, you remember this? Remember mask. January? Yes. So, so I went on the record, just forever listening, I went on the record on Twitter and on my show many times in September, October of 2020, I was like, this masking thing isn't going to cut it. <laughs> and everyone's going to realize it. And so then what they're going to do is just a version of we haven't masked up hard enough, double mask. <laughs> And people were like, you're, you're crazy. Like, there's no way, you know, whatever. And then sure enough, all of a sudden, Fauci is, you know, it would really work better, you know? And you go, oh, wait, how do I, people say, how do you see this coming? Because I understand. I well, understand yeah. the nature of a thing. You understand the choices it will make. And I know right. the nature of these authoritarians. I know the nature of these, honestly, these people that, that just kind of have gone through their lives in an echo chamber and lack the ability to think for themselves and lack a backbone to speak up uh, when they think something is wrong. And I think that there's a, I mean, now I'm playing like pop psychiatrist or something, but I think that there's a connection in the leftist mind between collectivism, groupthink, and just not being able to separate yourself from the mob. So I saw that, but, but I, I bring it up just because if you took the virus seriously last January, you were double masked. Well, where are all the double masks now? We got 70,000 cases a day. We're being told, you know, you got, you got surges going on in states. You got hospitals in Colorado, other places are having real trouble. What happened to the double masks? Right. Did the science change on that? Or did the fad change? Because this is really all just superstition now and religious belief. And that, that is what is so disturbed, right? If ever a situation called out for clear analysis and for honest conversations about what truly could pose a public health threat or an individual health threat and what didn't, so that we could keep the world moving forward, it was this entire mess. And you look and say now, unequivocally, lockdowns did not help to, to curb the spread. But what they did do is destroy economies, take kids out of school for a year and a half, uh, severely impact mental health, help to drive up murder rates to double what they are today in cities like Milwaukee, which are which is literally a stone's throw from where we sit today. Like that really did happen. And if at this point, we're not allowed in so many different platforms to have that conversation. And unfortunately, I, and again, this is my complaint, not yours, but our political class has allowed our public square to slip into the hands of private actors that can manipulate that we were talking about. It has stopped an honest discussion of saying so much damage was done 
that did not have to be done. And if they're going to continue to do this, obviously we have to change the structure that allows them to do it and take back our, our public square. Now I, I have at least some, I feel some uh, connection to what it is to be in a society that is going through a true, a true mass hysteria. Um, mm -hmm. And there have been articles, by the way, and I, I, I do croak because I think you do have to sort of dunk on the idiots when they're wrong on this stuff because other because no one ever goes back and says I'm sorry you were right never happens you have to be the one that says but I've been saying that um, mask wearing especially outdoors but in general uh, is the result of a hysteria induced anxiety disorder and now I'm being I'm being serious with you there are actual MDs in the field of psychiatry and and they're saying no this actually is a manifestation now for people of an anxiety disorder. This is turned into like someone who's OCD and has to count, you know, all the M&Ms in the jar before yeah. they can eat them or something. Well, they, is... they've been inundated with fear from every direction and feel like that's a, a way to manifest some control. Yeah. I mean, we think in this country, people talk about the Salem witch trial. That's the famous one here. And, you know, I mean, it's a scarlet letter, the play and all this stuff, which, of course, is about communism. because They're trying to convince us that there wasn't communism. There actually was, by the way, the Venona Project. Go read about it. There were communist penetrations of the United States government. Happened to have a lot of close relationships with labor, organized labor in this country, and of course the Democrat Party, which is right. why it all gets wiped away. Right. But anyway, um, won't, won't get into Arthur Miller right now. We'll talk about the uh, witch burnings though, that, that occurred in uh, sort of uh, you know late Renaissance, 1500s, 1600s, Europe. I mean, thousands and thousands of people. You think, how did this happen in countries like Germany? Well, why were they burning innocent women at the stake? Mass hysteria. Mass people hysteria. actually lose their minds. And maybe even a better example of that would be the French Revolution, which they don't teach very well in school at all to people. I mean, they they had you know lunatics running around hacking people to death. These had been their these have been their neighbors quite literally. Yeah. These have been their neighbors beforehand, but they thought they were creating a, a better society, you know, founded upon reason. Mm -hmm. And so they were defiling, openly defiling churches and massacring nuns and priests and doing all these things. This was France. Yes. It's like the most advanced, know. you know, wealthy society in, in in the world at the time, or certainly in the Western world. And it consumed itself, and it consumed itself because of ideas yeah. because of mass hysteria. You can see this happen before. We're not as bad as that because we are so wealthy and because there are people in this country who have been able to stand against it. And when I say wealthy, I just mean, you know, we have so much in terms of resources. So we're not, right. we're not going through mass starvation. We're not going through, I mean, you go to Mao's China, 196, what is it, 1958 to 1968, basically, mm -hmm. the Great Famine. That's pretty good off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I, think that's I was pretty happy with that one. Yes. If I'm correct, if I'm wrong, <laughs> someone's going to email me like, you're an idiot. It was 1957, Sexton. I'm never listening to you again. I thought you knew things, you know? I mean, you know what's so you're bad? You're reading your email. You know what's so bad? Oh my God, I tell you, you know what's so bad is, whenever I get one of those emails, I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually disappointed in myself. I'm like, oh man, I let Bob from Saskatchewan down. Like I said, I said, you know, M1, I meant to say M2, like, ah, oh, like I feel bad about it actually. Like when I get the angry emails and I think I'm, you know, what you would think is a minor mistake. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know. Well, you heard it here, he's trying. He's I'm trying, really, I'm really he's trying. trying you know? to let you down. Yeah, so. you know, I, I, I'm trying to think there was one that was really funny recently too, you know, it's like, oh. I think I, I think I might have said systemic when I meant to say systematic. People are like, you idiot. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just a lowly radio host. I'm really doing the best I can. So it reminds anyway. you people are listening and they care. Yeah, that's true. No, I, I like I like the passion. I like the passion. And the flip side of that, I always joke around, is that on my with my radio audience, I can always say, I mean, I can come up with any, especially if it's about anything uh, sort of military, firearms related, mechanical. I can say, hey guys, uh, like, what is the lug nut that I need to fix the rear rotor on a on a Black Hawk helicopter if it's been under you know underutilized for uh, or you know under 
maintenance uh, and and they they'll send it in within like five minutes. I get an email like, oh, Buck, you know, I was part of the Night Stalkers and here we go. You know? It's amazing what they'll come up with. So anyway. 10 come in the mail the next week. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Their guys send me photos of himself like, here's the lug nut you need. Here's me in Balad with the lug nut. You know, I'm like, okay, okay, cool. I got it covered. It's yeah, legit. so it, no, they, they, they definitely know their stuff. And the other thing is, if there's ever any homeopathic remedy I need, like they'll, they'll hear like my voice a little bit hoarse, and all of a sudden I'll be getting these things, these emails about like berries and and uh, and herbs I've never heard of before in my life, and they're just like, I'm telling you, it'll fix you. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's I cool didn't know too. I was sick. But yeah, no, there we go. That'll work. So. I don't know. Did I, did I solve America? Did we fix it? We didn't solve it, but your point in mass hysteria is well taken. And I think it's a great message for our audience, for your audience to say that, look, at the end of the day, we need to ground ourselves in reason. We have a structure in this country which was created to allow for open debate and common sense to enter into the um, into the public sphere. It's been taken away. It's been manipulated. You use the word pernicious to talk about um, the social media platforms that are governing so much of our communication. I think it's 100 percent the right word um and so we have to eliminate this which is why we have conversations like we did today no we didn't solve it but this is why we're doing our fight for america rallies to take your message forward and continue to fight i love it man thank you for having me out here on your podcast in Azure, wisconsin and uh, i'm trying to start a fight between the south and wisconsin or really i guess the upper midwest about who's nicer (laughs) people who are really nice People are like really we friendly. Try. You know? Some, well, sometimes there's passive aggressive loaded into that nice. So just be aware. A little bit like the Texas happens. bless your heart situation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. They they see the New York guy rolling in. They're just like, oh yeah, we all wear cheese heads here. Sure. Sure we do. You know? That would be an example of it. Yes. You know? that yeah. Would be, yeah. But they still like it. Picked so up on okay. that. Yeah. Nice, nice folks here though. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you here in West Dallas. We're gonna be going on to the stage here shortly, and I understand there's a big crowd out there. Buck, thanks for joining us on the Right Idea Podcast, and we hope to have you out to Wisconsin again soon. Love it, man. Thank you. All right. Take care. I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thanks for joining us on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.